Hello there and welcome into another edition of the Intersection Podcast. With conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Well, this podcast is being released the weekend of Christmas 2021. And during the Christmas season, we can remember those who are facing suffering in the name of our Savior who suffered for us. Sam Brownback, former U.S. Ambassador at Large for International Religious Freedom, visited with me recently to discuss developments around the topics of human rights and religious persecution. You'll be hearing from that conversation. Then, in anticipation of an increase in marriages in 2022, Greg Smalley of Focus on the Family provides some comments regarding the meaning of the wedding vows. And on this edition of The Intersection, from the Fellowship for Performing Arts, Max McLean discusses a recent film in which he plays a character whom he has portrayed on stage, the brilliant writer and theologian C.S. Lewis. Finally, from the Discovery Institute, Andrew McDermott has comments relative to the role of parents directing their children's education, which is a biblical concept, and how that is driving the actions of parents across the nation. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Sam Brownback is formerly the U.S. Ambassador-at-Large for International Religious Freedom. He visited with me for the Meeting House program recently and shared perspective on some of the developments in the area of human rights, including religious persecution. With some unique insight into the role of the U.S. in countering human rights violations, here now is Sam Brownback. You've got a genocide going on in western China of the Uyghurs. The U.N. Secretary General should be boycotting the uh, Chinese Olympics rather than going to it and undermining the uh, legitimacy of the U.N. And you have taken the Secretary General to task even within the last few days regarding his plans to continue to show his approval for these uh these practices or his approval for the Chinese regime that's, that's actually carrying on these, the persecution not only of the Uyghurs and the genocide there, but, I mean, you have really a laundry list of, of different types of persecution being carried on by the Chinese Communist Party. They're at war with faith. They're tearing down Chinese the churches. They are arresting pastors. They are arresting Falun Gong members and doing organ harvesting. They've torn into Tibetan Buddhism and have, have just decimated uh, much of it. They haven't killed it. They're not going to be able to kill it. But uh, they just continue to be at war with faith. And can you imagine that if the United States or, say, France were hosting these Olympics and were doing the same thing and we had a million Muslims locked up and told them you cannot name your child Muhammad, uh, and we're going to tear down churches and we're going to do this and that. The, the international community would be yelling bloody murder about this. And they wouldn't be participating whatsoever. And the double standard and hypocrisy of the U.N. to participate in something while there's an in a country where there's an ongoing genocide. This is just unfathomable to me. The organization that you used to head, actually, if I'm, if I'm getting my facts straight here, recently removed Nigeria from the countries of particular concern list that it issues each year. Is that, was that the organization, that uh, extension of the State Department, that you were the ambassador for? 
Uh, it was, and this is a terrible move by the State Department and Secretary Blinken. I've been calling it a revenge of the bureaucracy. Uh, the Africa desk, uh, the bureaucracy that covers Africa, has never wanted to address the issue of religious persecution in Nigeria, and they just want to act as if it doesn't happen, that the conflict between Christians and Muslims there is caused by global warming, farmer-herder conflicts, anything but a religious difference. And yet you've got these militant Islamic fundamentalist groups moving in in large numbers in northern Nigeria. To, to ignore it is just to let the problem fester and get worse, and it'll be harder to deal with in the future. This was a terrible moved by State Department, but it was kind of a revenge of the bureaucracy that wants to ignore the religious persecution in that area. And elaborate just a bit more with respect to Nigeria specifically. It's It was, up until recently, labeled as a country of particular concern. What qualifies that nation or any nation for that list? Uh, it's when the government uh, itself does persecution or it doesn't bring people to justice that do persecution. So in other words, it just turns a blind eye and it, it allows it to take place and they're, they're feckless or inactive in their responses and in a way approving the persecution by allowing it to happen. And that's what Nigeria was doing. They weren't addressing it. You have a, a, a nomadic group in the north that uh, is armed now with AK-47s and and running into Christian villages and just slaughtering people. Mm. Nigeria is now one of the most deadly places on the earth to be a Christian. And and the government just, they don't bring people to justice. They don't put the military out aggressively to address the situation when they could. Uh, they're just allowing it to continue to move forward and exacerbate it. And what the militant Islamists want is another caliphate. And this time in that region of northern Nigeria and a, a place called the Sahel, uh, that's where they're looking to establish it. And they're, they're got, they've got a good start going. Founder of the Brownback Group, who serves as Senior Fellow for Open Doors USA, Sam Brownback, here on the Intersection Podcast. You can find him online at brownbackgroup.org. Continuing now with this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Greg Smalley, the Vice President of Marriage for Focus on the Family. In our recent conversation, he discussed the importance of words that are commonly expressed in marriage vows, approaching the topic of marriage from a biblical perspective. Here now from that Meeting House conversation is Greg Smalley. The word take, so to take thee to be my wedded wife or husband, take is all about free will. Basically, what, what this person is, is saying, acknowledging, is that I am freely walking into this marriage, and, and that's my choice. In other words, there's no mystical, oh, this is the one, and, and, and God is the matchmaker here. No, God made it really clear he's given us free will, and, and that's important because I have to acknowledge that this is voluntary, that I'm choosing to take Aaron as, as my wife. For life, and that means when we hit hard times, because it was my choice, then I choose to also work that out. So that's an important part. Wedded simply means uh, joined, um, united, attached, connected. So I'm basically saying that 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 I pick you as my teammate, that I freely unite myself 
to you for life. And and I love that because sometimes people try to, you know, blame, well, you know, God, you know, this is the one that, that God he was the one that brought us together. So if it's not working out, then maybe I just missed his will or maybe I didn't understand that. And no, he's given you free will. Choose. So choose to have a strong marriage. Choose to get help when things get hard. So comment on this this whole notion of having and holding from this day forward till death do us part. Yeah, when when God said that the, the two shall become one, um, the verb to have it is all about knowing our spouse at the deepest levels. That means both physically and emotionally. It's really seen deeply in. Everybody longs to be known at that deepest level in, in all ways, sexually, physically, emotionally. And that's basically what you're saying, that, that I, I have. That, that verb means that I'm agreeing to continue to pursue my spouse at those deepest levels. And then to hold, I love this because it means to keep, to tend, or to watch over, sort of like how you would tend to a garden. And so you're saying that not only do I want to have you in terms of knowing you deeply, but I want to hold you in in constantly attend to to what you want and desire, and how can I do the very best, you know, at, at watching over you within our relationship. And, and God says, and that's, that's until death do us part. And, and that's, that's what I love. And rather that's for the, the, the best, the worst, the rich, the poor, the, in sickness and in health. So then he goes through and, and kind of lays out, man, we're all going to have these different seasons because marriage is an amazing journey. This adventure that we're on is going to have the mountaintop experiences, the highs, and it's going to have the, the lows. And, and through all of it, I'm saying that I want to continue to have and to hold you through all of the different seasons until death do us part. In other words, until one of us goes to be with the Lord. And I tell my wife all the time that, hey, I'm with you till the end. And I say that in front of my kids because I want them to know that I'm committed to your mom until the, the, the end, whatever that, that looks like, whichever one goes first, in essence. Because I want her to feel safe and secure because when people – so these wedding vows, I really think at the end of the day what it's creating is a sense of safety and security. When I feel that my marriage is the safest and most secure place on earth, Hmm. Hearts tend to open, and an open heart is required to to have the deepest levels of of connection. People ask me, well, marriage, is this a license? Is this a piece of paper? What does it really matter? If I'm doing all those things you're talking about, why why do we have to get married? And I always tell people that that if you're simply living with someone, there's always that tiny seed of doubt in someone's mind that you're really committed and I want my I want access to to who my wife is at the very deepest levels. And I know if she doesn't feel safe and secure, she's not going to fully open her heart. I'm not going to ever fully know her. And that's part of the value of these vows. It's creating that safety, that security, that allows two people to truly and fully be known. And 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 I think that is such a big part of marriage. Greg Smalley here on The Intersection. You can find out more at FocusOnTheFamily.com 
front slash marriage. This is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center. That's where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on The Intersection. Also, through that homepage, there are links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as the Apple Podcast feed. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page, plus there's a link to video content. Again, you can go to meetinghouseonline.info or visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Content from the Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. When you go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and other podcast platforms, you can search for Faith Radio Podcast. Continuing now with this edition of The Intersection, it's the founder and artistic director of the Fellowship for Performing Arts, actor Max McLean. In a recent conversation, he provided information on the presentation, The Most Reluctant Convert, The Untold Story of C.S. Lewis, a film adaptation of his one-man stage play in which he portrays Lewis. The conversation coincided with the release of the movie on home video. Here now from that conversation is Max McLean. What the film does is it, it it's almost like Scrooge uh, in Christmas Carol in that it uh, he lives in his memories uh, and he goes back to uh, being a boy. So we have young, we have Lewis, uh, we have the older Lewis who I play uh, telling, uh, telling the story of his life. And so we cast a boy Lewis uh, for the younger part of, of, of uh, Lewis's life. Uh, and then we have a young Lewis when he's in his twenties, uh, uh, mostly. Uh, and the events flashes back to those scenes in his life, which he's telling about. Um, and uh, that gives it uh, and expands. It also includes some of his good friends, such as J.R.R. Tolkien, Owen Barfield, Hugo Dyson, uh, his mother and father, his great teacher, Kirkpatrick. Uh, these are all uh, in his memories, but then when he thinks them, they become real people on the, in the movie. The arc of the story is Lewis moved from being a vigorous debunker of Christianity until he became, as he said, uh, he gave in and became, uh, he admitted that, that God was God, knelt and prayed that night, perhaps the most dejected, reluctant convert in all England. Uh, and so how did he get from vigorous debunker to Christian convert? Um, he lost his mother to cancer when he was nine. Uh, that really upset his world because she was the anchor of the family. Uh, he did not have a good relation with his father with, after his mother's death. It got worse. Uh, he, uh, he enlisted in the army and uh, experienced trench warfare in World War I and the butchery of that, uh, that conflict. And at the end of the uh that period he came to the conclusion either there's no god behind the universe a god indifferent to good and evil or worse an evil god that was his conclusion um but uh you know through the through the relationships that he that he met 
people like Tolkien and Barfield, uh, they challenged his atheism. And they had vigorous debates about that. But Lewis came to the conclusion that his argument against God was that the universe was so cruel and unjust. But then he asked himself, well, how did he get this notion of cruel and unjust? He says he calls a line crooked because he has some idea of a straight line. Where, uh, what am I comparing this universe with when I call it cruel and unjust? Um, and so that made him, uh, you know, think through uh, other possibilities. And he came to the conclusion that, you know, Christianity does not solve the problem of pain. It creates it because pain would not be a problem unless you had some expectation that ultimate reality is righteous and good. Because if, if you know, in his worldview, his ultimate reality is just physics and biochemistry, and anything that happens is just the accidental collision of atoms, uh, so our day-to-day experience of evil and suffering, of injustice, of wickedness, uh, is just arbitrary and capricious. So you really can't complain about what, what the universe deals with you. Um, and so that's made him rethink his Christian position. It wasn't until a conversation with J.R.R. Tolkien who really helped him understand that uh, in all the pagan religions, and, and Lewis loved mythology and, and uh, uh, the great stories of the past, and, uh, and Lewis, uh, uh, Tolkien said to him, that you know when you meet a god sacrificing himself in a pagan story you like it very much unless you uh, unless you when you meet it anywhere except in the gospels and what he says the story of christ is a myth uh like the other myths like all the other myths with one tremendous difference it really happened Mm -hmm. this myth is true this is the myth that became fact and what that did for lewis is it got him to read the Gospels differently. Uh, He began to look at Jesus in more heroic terms, and uh, and it just changed changed his reality about who Jesus is. Max McLean here on The Intersection. More information can be found at cslewismovie.com. Finally, on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Andrew McDermott, a senior fellow at the Discovery Institute and media relations specialist and assistant to the director of the Discovery Institute Center for Science and Culture, Stephen C. Meyer. He commented on parents' responsibility for their children's education, which is a concept which is consistent with Scripture. He wrote an article for the New York Post on the topic of parental responsibility. Here now from that conversation is Andrew McDermott. As I pointed out in the article, it wasn't always this way, where we we trusted uh, a public school system and an infrastructure to take care of our our children. You know, through the early 1800s, kids were largely taught at home uh, by their parents. And if for some reason their parents didn't feel proficient in a subject area, they hired out a tutor, you know, and that, that tutor worked within the, the value confines of the family and indeed had the same values. Um, with, with more immigration and with more buildup of cities, we started having one-room schoolhouses in communities that emerged in rural areas. They were either funded by churches or communities 
or even the land ordinance of 1785 that granted land expressly for schools. And that followed, you know, um, into common schools in the cities. And I think it was Jefferson that uh, first suggested a tax-funded education system. He knew that education was vital to the future of the nation. And so, but it would be 100 years before that started kicking into to gear what he uh, suggested. Um, you know, by 1918, kids were required to at least go to elementary school. And that's really when the, the history of public education begins in full swing. Um, and as we know, it's been, been a slow and steady uh, d disregard and putting aside of the values that came from the rural parts of America in these one-room schoolhouses and in these, on these far family farms. You know, as, as schools largely congregated in the city and the suburbs, just the values changed, you know. It was values for the city, not necessarily for the country. And we know that those are not always the same thing. Well, let's talk about where we are now as we see, for instance, there was a high-profile election campaign not too long ago in the state of Virginia where you actually had, and you point this out in the New York Post article that I referred to earlier, he basically said that parents shouldn't be telling schools what to teach. And you have others that are high-profile people, even people in the, the leadership of education, such as the head of one of the largest teachers' unions. And you have these, these so-called experts that are basically putting their hands up and saying, parents, this is, hey, we're, we're the experts here. You just stay out of it. Let us be in control. We're the people that know best and i think we can look around and see well that's certainly not the case is it well no and 50 75 years ago if they were saying that to the parents well maybe the parents would would be more justified in saying okay i trust you you know um but today much different kettle of fish with these identity politics with these radical policies and curricula that, that are being ushered into our public school systems it is just not the same game anymore and people don't have the same goals for our kids you know there's that saying trust but verify bob and that is what parents have been doing they've been verifying that hey i can't actually trust the public school fully i do need to uh, be more heavily invested in what kind of education my kids are are getting and i do need to maybe make a change you know uh, so we're, we've reached that, that, that point where we've verified and we're not liking some of the results. Um, but yeah, the, these, uh, these folks are just saying, look, these are conspiratorial fantasies, one uh, educational leader put it. Uh, and we've been told to keep our nose out of school curricula. Um, Obama even said that all this was just part of the phony trumped-up culture wars. Uh, so disregarding these concerns the parents are having. It's just time, Bob. It's time for kids kids to obey their parents. Um, and it's also time for the, the parents to be heavily involved in the education. Andrew McDermott here on The Intersection. The Discovery Institute website is discovery.org. We are nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can connect to The Meeting House through meetinghouseonline.info or through the programming section at faithradio.org. When you visit the homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center. That's where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast. 
There are also links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as the Apple Podcast feed. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House, and the other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.